Praise God. Now let's go to our study. We're asking God to give us kingdom eyes, and uh, we're in a study on the book of Mark. And it's fitting that we had a drama presentation this morning because many scholars believe that, in fact, the book of Mark, the very first gospel, in fact, the very first gospel literature that was written, it was written by John Mark, who was the scribe of the apostle Peter. And so the gospel of Mark is actually the gospel of Peter that Mark wrote down for the disciples to have. And it was written, as most believe, as a drama, as a dramatic presentation. When you read it, you'll see, you read its pace, where it says, immediately Jesus did this, and immediately Christ went into the desert, and immediately he rose out of the water, and immediately the Spirit responded. And so the, they believe that it was dramatized because most of the believers in the first century Palestine were illiterate. They didn't read. They didn't have copy machines. They didn't have scribes making gospels for everybody in the church. So it was read, and those orators that would read it would emphasize it and dramatize it and speak the gospel truth so that the people would hear it and respond. It was to motivate the first hearers and listeners of the gospel of Mark to respond to the command of Mark. And Mark is about making disciples. Mark reveals who Jesus is as the son of the living God. And as he is the son of God, he is a rabbi who is teaching his followers how to do what he did and how to act and perform in the kingdom of God as a son of God. That's what his mission was, to come to die on the cross so our sins would be cleansed so that his spirit could come and inhabit us and by his spirit dwelling in us, we would be sons of God and we would go forth and bring the ministry of the kingdom into this earth. And that's the purpose of this gospel. And so we're giving a bird's eye view, just an overview of the gospel, why it was written, so that it could incite you to believe, to live like a believer, a follower of Jesus. We come into the portion of Scripture where we left off from last week to where it really emphasizes what it means to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're moving into chapter 6 and 7. As we look at chapter 6, 7, and 8, we see almost in a comedic uh, presentation the constant doubt of the disciples, of the apostles of Jesus Christ. Jesus would do phenomenal acts and things, that, and they just wouldn't get it. They just couldn't see it. But I think it's written in such a way so that it draws us who quite often doubt whether God could even use us to where we come to a place where the patience of God and the patience of Jesus works with us and continues again and again to reveal who he is to us and reveal who we are in him so we would accomplish, just like the disciples accomplished in the first century, bringing the gospel to a lost and dying world. Amen? Amen. And so what we see here is that in chapter 6, And 7 and 8, we see the feeding of the 5,000. That begins the process by which Jesus is now teaching his disciples. He's called them to follow him, and now he's ready to equip them. And as he calls them to feed, they're out at the open air uh, by the seashore, and uh, Jesus is teaching, and it gets to be kind of late. It says that there are 5,000 men there, so you can figure that the 5,000 men probably had a wife and some kids, so it could be anywhere from 7,000 to 10,000 people in that place. And it's getting late, and Jesus said, I want you to feed them. And they go, we got no food, and it's too far to walk for food. What are you talking about, Jesus? 
Let him go. Let's get out of here before a mob comes. Jesus said, no, what kind of food do you have? So Jesus always has you check, have you check your resources, and you can be sure that your resources are never enough for what God's called you to because he wants to be your resource. You know, this is the problem with the church today. We're, we're tr- we don't think we have enough money to get this job done. We don't have enough people to make it happen. We don't have enough people that are interested. We don't have enough volunteers. We don't have enough programs. We don't have enough vehicles, and our building's not big enough. And you know what? We don't need any of that to accomplish what God's called us to accomplish. And so he says, what do you got? And he got, we got two fish and five loaves. For 5,000 men? Are you crazy? Jesus says, that'll work. I'll take what you give me and I will make it work. But what, here's the most important part. He begins to engage them in the miraculous. I'm going to repeat that one more time. He engages them, the fishermen, the noblemen, uh, the patriots, and all the different kind of people that were there. He begins to engage them into kingdom thinking and to have kingdom eyes because we've all grown up in this world and we're limited to the vision of this world. And he begins to engage them and he says, I want you to take these loaves and fishes and I want you to hand them out. Now first get these people sitting in rows of hundreds and fifties. And so they set 5,000. Again, that is the minimal number, 5,000 men. We don't know how many women and children. You take this five to 7,000 people and you have them sit down because we're going to feed them. And he's like, are you kidding me? Well, who's going to do this? You are. And so he begins to engage them. He holds up the bread and the fish and he blesses it to the Father. And anything that's blessed to the Father is sufficient to minister to planet Earth. I'm telling you that right now. And so as he ministers, he hands it out to each of the disciples. And you could imagine that uh, this might stretch to 100, maybe 150, but they're going out in between the rows. They're passing it down, passing the baskets. Can you imagine sitting on one side, the basket comes down, the basket comes back, and it's still full. They pass it down, it comes back, still full. They're passing it down, they get through with the first thousand. Oh my goodness, what a miracle. We could stop right here, but you got 4,000 waiting. How many of us have stopped? We've stopped way short, way too soon. Don't you understand how many people are out here hungry for what we received? And so they go for the first thousand. Then they go and help the second thousand, two thousand. They keep ministering to three thousand. They keep ministering more to four thousand. They keep, I'm imagining the pace is picking up because as the miraculous keeps showing up, you get a little bit excited, don't you? We've just fed three thousand people. You want to quit? No, let's go for it all. Oh, we need that excitement, don't we? in the kingdom of God, and they pass it out to 4,000. They pass it out to 5,000 till everybody is fed, and Jesus then brilliantly says this, now go collect what's left over. Left over? And guess how many baskets are left over? Twelve. You get your own basket, buddy. Isn't that awesome? And so where there is a need, God will supply the answer. He's just looking for someone to engage in his work. Someone who will walk out the miracles of God. Someone who would trust a Savior who says, go for it. That's what Jesus is looking for in this day and in this hour. 
And as Jesus ministers the feeding of the 5,000, it's interesting that they go across the lake again. And as they're going across the lake, a storm brews up. Now, they already experienced this in the book of Mark where a storm brewed up and they get woke Jesus up. Don't you care? We're going to die. And he rebukes the wind and waves and it calms them down. Well, here it is again. Repetition. They're out, but Jesus isn't in the boat. He said, you go ahead. I'm praying here. So they go out in the boat and the wind and the wave come up. And they're, oh no, what are they going to do? They're frightful, they're scared, they're going to die. And as they're just worried, there comes Jesus walking across the waves. And it says that, this is hilarious, this is the the comedy of Mark. It says that Jesus was going to keep on going, but he decided to stay in the boat, get into the boat with them. I think that's funny. I just think, you know, he's going to the other side, and they're like, Jesus, help us. All right. And he rebukes them. He says, oh, ye of little faith. And he says this very important thing. Don't you remember? They should. Wouldn't you think you'd remember feeding 5,000? He said, don't you remember the feeding of the 5,000? Don't you understand? You see, there was something to it he was trying to teach them. There was something they were supposed to know. Something they were supposed to come away with feeding 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves. If you can do that, don't you think you could do what I showed you to do just a while ago and speak to the wind and the waves and calm it? But they lost it. They lost it. They lost all of it. How many of us do this? God has done a great work in our lives. God has met us in our need, but then the next trauma comes and we go, oh God, where are you? And we're ready to pitch it all in and say, there is no God. He doesn't listen to prayer. Though he's ministered to you how many times? And that's where the disciples were. And so in the preaching of this gospel and the declaring it, the audience would respond to this going, oh my gosh, really? Because they could relate to this. And the disciples go, oh Lord God, what are we going to do? And he rebukes them, but he still performs the miracle. And it calms down. And then he comes, the next part is he, he, in chapter 7, he heals a man who's deaf, who cannot hear, and he speaks to him and he says, ears be opened, and he spoke plainly, and the man could hear. Now Mark is categorizing, he's writing out the stories that have an impact to the disciples that actually speak to the situation, because see, they were deaf spiritually. They couldn't hear what Jesus was teaching them. Now, no doubt Jesus is literally healing the deaf, but the reason Mark puts it at that place is because they fed 5,000, God engaged them in the miraculous, and then when it comes time to use it by faith, they don't. And Jesus says, you're not hearing me. You're not hearing me. So then it comes next, he heals a blind man. And as he heals the, 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 the blind man in chapter 8, uh, it's after they feed 4,000. They go over to the Gennesaret, which is the, with the Gentile side, and as they go over to the Gentile side, he says, I want you to feed them. Guess what the response is? Out of sight. Yeah, we got this. No. The response is, how are we going to do this? We only have seven loaves of bread. Come on, boys. And I just wonder how long the patience of God works with you and I. Where we go, oh, come on, Lord, you can't do this. How are we going to do this? 
And he has them feed 4,000. That's 4,000 men, not including the women and children. And guess what? They do it again. And guess what? Now they have seven baskets uh, uh, back to them. It's, it's the same miracle. And then after that, he goes and he heals a man who's blind. And he comes to the man who's blind. And, and he ministers to his eyes. And he says, now what do you see? And he says, well, I, I see men who are like trees moving and walking around. In other words, his, he, he gained eyesight, but it was blurry. He couldn't make out the images. So Jesus ministers again to bring a complete healing. And I believe Mark is trying to tell the story where the disciples are kind of getting it, but not getting it. Kind of understanding this Jesus is pretty awesome. Yeah, well, he's more than that, okay? You need a second touch. And how many of us, though, in the church, we've been saved? There was a, there was a discussion, there was an argument in theology a, a number of years back where you can make Jesus your Savior but not your Lord. Where people come to get saved but they've never really surrendered their life to his Lordship. You know what? In order to be saved, you need to know he's Lord. He is your Savior and Lord. But I wonder how many of us have accepted his salvation. We look to him on the cross for our salvation, but we don't let him be Lord over our lives. It's the second healing we need in our eyes to see who he is, who he really is. He is the Lord in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, and with him abiding in us we can go forth and reach a dying world. Oh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is so much more powerful than the American dollar. But what do we pursue? And what do we think we need to have to reach people? It's not money. It's the power of God. It's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Then they asked Peter, He finally gets it and he says, who do men say that I am? And Peter finally gets to the place where he goes, thou art the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ. You're right, Peter. And there's the breakthrough in the book of Mark. There it is at the middle portion to where it is the message that's supposed to be understood. From there we go into chapter 9 where they see, they see uh, he takes Peter, James, and John up to the Mount of Transfiguration where they see him as the Son of God. They really recognize him as that. How many of us, oh, the church in this day and age needs a revelation of the transfiguration of the glory of Jesus Christ? We've got pictures of Jesus on the cross. We've got pictures of Jesus walking on a seashore. We've got pictures of Jesus hanging in our house, this Jesus, that Jesus. We make white Jesus. We make black Jesus. We make Chinese Jesus. And, you know, so that we can all relate to Jesus. How about we see Jesus high and lifted up where his train fills the temple and you cannot even recognize him because his glory is so amazing you would fall on your face. We need a revelation of Jesus Christ, the Lord and King of all. Amen? And so, isn't it interesting, Peter wanted to stay there and Jesus said, we're not staying on the mountain. You've got to come down. And that's what will happen. That's typically what happens. If the revival breaks out in the church, we just want to stay in revival. We just want to stay. Let's have another service. It's like they need it out there. This is happening so that we'll minister to this world. 
But what's fascinating, isn't it, if you'll see the way Mark arranged this and as they're coming down off of the Mount of Transfiguration, I mean, they're just glory. Hallelujah, we got it. He's the Son of God, man. We're going to do what He does. We can talk to the water. We can heal the blind. And so as they come down, they're immediately, immediately confronted by a man whose son is held by a demon. And this demon throws his son down right in front of Jesus and starts writhing. And the man says, oh, Jesus, your disciples couldn't do anything for my son. Now, the disciples at this time had been released into cities to go ahead and heal the sick and cast out demons. And they were excited about it. They saw it happen. But in this situation, they couldn't deal with it. I want you to know, every time you have a higher revelation of Jesus, the enemy ramps up his power as well. If we're going to be a people who move in the authority and the power of Christ in a greater measure, you better get ready for greater demons to start manifesting. It's it's just simple, simple math. Lower demons can handle most Christians because they ignore and don't even believe that there's the demonic. So they're easily dealt with. But you who are ready to go to warfare, you who are ready to bring the gospel, you who are ready to do fights and wars in the heavenlies, get ready because the enemy is going to be emboldened against you. It's interesting when you look at this, every time Jesus would step on the seashore, the demons would come fall at his feet and say, who are you? Why are you here, son of God? Have you come to torment us? They immediately showed up and cowered before him. But this demon, Jesus qualified him as something different. He said, this kind, it takes fasting and prayer to cast him out. Because none of the disciples could do it. It was at another level, a collegiate level of discipleship. I want the body of Christ to be so mature and at the next level that we're dealing with principalities and authorities and pulling them down over these neighborhoods. Amen? That we're in the war. And so this demon, the audacity of this demon to come before Jesus and begin to hurt that boy right in front of the Son of God. What kind of audacity is that? Jesus let him do his thing. But here's an amazing thing. The man says, will you, can, if you can, will you heal him? And guess what Jesus says to him? If you can, for all things are possible to him who believes. His disciples couldn't. Now Jesus is saying, you can. Me? And the man's response was, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. That's a great prayer. That's a great prayer. I would rather pray that than be ignorant of my own condition. I would rather say, Jesus, I believe you. I believe every word you have. I believe every word you say. Would you fill in where I lack? I'm going to trust you for that. And Jesus immediately cast that demon out. His disciples said, how come we couldn't? He said, because this time takes prayer and fasting. Well, Jesus didn't just step away and say, okay, I'll deal with him after I stop eating for a while. You know what? Calm the boy down. Let me go pray. What does he mean by this kind? It takes prayer and fasting. It takes a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. It doesn't take a once in a while time for prayer and time for fasting. It takes a place where we as disciples will follow Jesus and be readied and prepared to meet any work of the enemy because we've given our life to a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. It's hard for us as Americans to do that. Because it's a bit of a bother on our schedules and our comfort. Just saying. 
And so he said, if you can to the man, all things are possible. What about you and I? We say, Jesus, do this. Jesus, do that. Jesus, do this. Jesus, do that. If you can, if you can, if you can. And I'm wondering if the word redounding back to us is, if you can, all things are possible. Will you? And so we need to move now in this place. It's interesting now, Mark begins to present a very uh, strong Jesus. And he, he says this, um, he, in chapter 11, he curses the fig tree. And he says, may no one ever eat your fruit again. After 11.14, he goes into the house of prayer and he begins to turn over the money changers and do all that. Jesus is moving forth powerfully and he's saying to the fig tree, you're supposed to bear fruit. You're supposed to bear the fruit of figs and you have not. So you are useless to what you're supposed to be doing. And of course, the fig tree is the emblem of Israel. And Israel was supposed to be a light to the Gentiles, a light to the world to prepare the way for Messiah. And they had not borne the fruit of what they were called to do. And so when he comes to the temple, he doesn't see the temple presented in the way it should be. In Mark it says, you've made my father's house a den of thieves. It should be a house of prayer for Gentiles. Because where they set up the money changers and the tables was in the court of the Gentiles. That was the place of the temple where the nations could come up and worship Yahweh and get to know this God of Israel. But they shut them out for the sake of their money changers and their sacrifices to God. How many people have we shut out by our religious efforts to Jesus? You're not clean enough to come near Jesus. You're not right before you can come to Jesus. Who should be coming to Jesus? The worst of the worst. That's what you were. That's what I was. That's what we all are. We're all unclean. Come on. Well, not as bad as that. There is no as bad as. We're all born in Adam, and that's just sin. Some manifest it in greater proportions than others because they're more creative and desperate. They're the ones who need Jesus in a greater measure. But we stay away from them. And we have our own little clubs and our own entertainment in the church. And people don't want to come into this. They don't feel welcome. Jesus would turn over all of that and say, this should be a house for the lost. This should be a house for the lost. God is calling His people to a new place and a reformation that we need to move in. And the Gospel of Mark is a first century uh, code book on how to do it. It's a manual for disciples following Jesus. It's at that point Jesus then takes the Passover and he changes the Passover into a religious feast, into a reality of who he is. This is my body. This is my blood. And what Israel's been celebrating, they didn't even realize was a foreshadow of his reality. And so Jesus changes religion into his presence, into his reality. Now, Jesus is with us. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ in us, the hope, earnest expectation of glory, his presence. Where you are is the expectation of his presence. That's what it is to be a believer. Not a religious church, not a religious group, but now the, the presence of Christ in me is the hope of glory. We've changed that verse into hoping to go to, to heaven someday. Jesus in me, the hope of glory. Someday I'm going to go to heaven. And the, all the while, we're a fruitless tree. 
He says that you're the hope of glory. Hope. You're the hope, an expectation. You're the expectation of his glory. What's his glory? His presence. Where he is, it's glorious. So we carry the glory of God. So when you walk in the room, the expectation of Jesus is in the house. When you go to work, Jesus just showed up. When you go to the store, Jesus is in Walmart on aisle five. Attention please, Jesus is in aisle five. We've got Christians walking down the aisle. There he is. Jesus is at checkout number 12. How can you tell the way he's patiently dealing with that cashier? (laughs) Glory of God is all over him. We're the expectation of Jesus. This world is waiting. Don't you remember what faith is? Faith is the what? Substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Who's the blessed hope? Jesus. We're the substance of things hoped for were the evidence of him that they can't see. We're the substance. We're the hope of Jesus Christ. You're the earnest expectation of his presence. That's what Mark's saying. He turned the Passover into a reality of him. This is my body. This is my blood shed for you. Now he hangs on a cross to where he literally is the law of God put up on a stake so everyone can see him at the cross and that law is perfectly completed in him. And the judgment of God comes on him so that all of us can understand that's supposed to be me. But his mercy hangs on that tree instead of it. And then my sins are buried with him. And then Mark ends it this way and he says, when they came to seek him, the angel said, hey, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus. He's not here. He's risen from the dead. And that enables you and I to be the disciples. And Mark closes his entire uh, manual on how to be a disciple with this statement, and these signs shall follow them that believe. In his name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they'll pick up serpents, and they'll drink deadly poison, and none of it will hurt them, and they'll lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. These are the things that follow Jesus. Mark's telling us, according to Peter, these are the things that follow his disciples. Some of you have a dispute with this, and I understand it. I've been a Pentecostal many, many years. And so what this verse is saying is these signs shall follow them that believe. So it's available to every one of us to pray for these things to be available to us and pray. But it's not a guarantee that it'll happen with every single situation. God is still sovereign, and God chooses who he will heal and who he will deliver. By faith, I've prayed for people, and I've seen people healed. I've prayed for people, and I've seen them die. Now, do I abandon the gospel because that's not true? No, not at all, not at all. It says, these signs shall follow them that believe. Collectively, them that believe is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are there miracles happening around the world? Daily, minutes, hours, every moment of the day. Miracles are happening to those who are believing. Are people being touched? Demons being cast out? Absolutely. To the church, it's happening everywhere. And we follow suit. And so we pray and God will move. But I don't know exactly how he'll move. Sometimes he moves as I have commanded and as he's willed me to. And sometimes there's a different outcome than I expected. But that should not cause me to abandon and become a cessationist and say this is no longer available to us. That's just poor doctrine and theology. 
It's just that I have to get my head wrapped around the sovereignty of God and what He's doing in every situation and to call Him into my heart to grow deeper in my understanding of what I'm going to do. But I know these signs follow. These signs follow this church. We spent the whole middle of our service to minister to the poor and the sick and and cast out demons, and, and we did. So, this is what God's calling to the church do we lack anything? Do we lack money? What's, what's in our way? What's a hindrance for your faith? Do you lack finance? It's not about finance. I know you've got to pay bills. But God will get you through that situation. Is it manpower? You don't have enough power or energy? Is it because there's an enemy working against you? None of this should cancel out the kingdom of God. None of this should cause us to stop. These signs are following us. Despite the hindrances, despite the inability to cast out a demon, we say, Jesus, why? And Jesus will show us why. The the inability to bring complete healing to someone's life, we say, why? And Jesus will come and follow through. We continue to work through this process and develop kingdom eyes to see what Jesus is trying to teach all of us to see concerning him. Are you in this or are you ready to abandon it? That's going to be the question. Because the pressures and the stakes are getting higher and higher. And the demons are getting more ferocious. And the enemy is getting stronger. But greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And if you will be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, these signs will follow us as a people. And we will continue to pray and continue to see with kingdom eyes. Let's bow our heads. Father, I pray for your people right now. That, Jesus, we will be a people determined to walk after Messiah Jesus. You taught us these things so that we would take them to a dying world. And I pray right now that you would strengthen and encourage your people. That we wouldn't quit. That we wouldn't doubt. But we'd walk into a new level of training. Teach us, O God, to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen.